You just hate capitalist efficiency, Aaron. <laughs> That's what it is. I hate the efficiency of setting <laughs> prices across an industry. Welcome to The Right Can't Read, a podcast about how right-wing people can't do art real good, so they steal it instead. Yep. Joining me today is Aaron Simon, co-host Hello. of the podcast The Muskrats, an Elon Musk fan cast. What do you love so much about Elon, Aaron? I, I think his, uh, you know, I, I, I really get into phrenology and oh, Elon Musk's skull structure really expresses a sense of intelligence and drive that we're missing in America because we've become a degraded, depraved, degenerate culture. And Musk shows the way forward of true masculinity, which is uh, to find a quasi-pop star wife who is 30 years younger than you are, stup her, have a kid, divorce rinse and repeat yep and it's it's a good goal to have and as a as an ardent reader of uh stoicism (laughs) and libertarian social i mean really like musk i am a socialist (laughs) and i think that musk express uh embodies the best of all of these worlds and if you don't acknowledge that uh you're just a cuck yeah and that's why yeah, I think he's also a comedic genius. Yeah, and you yeah, know who else real, thinks real that? Great poster. Yeah, he's a great poster, and you know who else thinks that is Dave Chappelle. Oh yeah, and he did I don't that. know <laughs> if if you are aware of this, but Chappelle used to have a very good show. It was on Comedy Central, so uh, you know, case closed. Much like John Stewart, Dave Chappelle is totally blameless. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah, John Stewart, I, I. I don't know. I haven't really kept up with John Stewart. I think he could have done a lot more, but the problem seems... is not good. No, but no. wait, the problem is that a new He's show. He's got a or... new show. The problem with oh. John Stewart, it's not oh, good. I... Okay, I haven't. Is it yelling at clouds? Essentially, it's like okay. all that. It the worst parts of like John Stewart when he was like, maybe like let's listen to the Tea Party. They're coming from a real place and oh i don't and that was like one of his things back in the day and now it's just that the show and not a very upset incredibly snarky jewish man yelling at politicians i mean as i i as long as he doesn't go the route of bill maher oh god i feel like that's that's the baseline (laughs) that's all i care about at this point is like (laughs) You're gonna be a rich man. I you're the I'm not expecting him to be, you know, true politic by by any means, but just as long as he doesn't go like the weird reactionary Chappelle or or Bill Maher route, that's yeah, that's all I can ask. Yeah. Just keep helping dogs, John Stewart. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Yeah. That was the nice I, thing that he did is, you know, after he, he left the Daily Show, he, he was doing a bunch of like dog rescue stuff. 
That's nice. Yeah. We'll we'll save them kept in doing the glorious that. revolution. Yeah, for the dogs. For the dogs, yeah. Yeah. So, you are what not are... actually the co-host of a podcast called No, Lost I am not. No, that I know. I was really convincing. Yeah, you are. We were yeah. sold on it. Yeah. You are here today to talk with me about country music. Right. What is your relationship with country music, Aaron, as a Southerner, a self-avowed Tennesseeer? <laughs> Y'all know I talk about it all the damn time. Is <laughs> you know, my heart is back in the Cumberland River Valley. Oh God! And, uh, I feel like the true, true America can be found amongst the hills and the farms of Middle Tennessee. And I think that you know a lot of Middle Tennessee's uh, traditions and people, we lost it all because uh, you know a lot of people have started moving to Tennessee, and when you do that. Uh, you know, it's I'm all right with people moving in and everything, but y'all got to re- recognize and embrace the culture and people ain't doing that no more. I mean, you look at Nashville now and shit, man, I tell you, I can't fucking recognize it no more. I- I'm looking at downtown Nashville as we're talking. <laughs> and what are all these goddamn buildings, dude? You can't go out there on, on, on Broadway and listen to music no more because you got all these goddamn, you know, fucking, uh, bachelorette parties going around screaming all night and i just want to listen to some fucking country music you know i i want to hear me some 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 bluegrass occasionally too get me some goddamn fiddles you can't do that no more so you know it's like i go out to to knoxville sometimes gotta go up into them mountains (laughs) retreat redneck riviera gatlinburg am i right redneck riviera can't be a real phrase is that a thing people say yeah, absolutely the fuck not <laughs> yeah gatlinburg and pigeon forge are kind of known as the redneck riviera i i refuse to acknowledge that that exists <laughs> have we talked about pigeon forge on this podcast i don't think so okay, What's so, a pigeon forge? <laughs> so to give a a, a non-bit answer i lived in tennessee for a long time as i think we and at least well so i was it, it did my undergrad at university of tennessee knoxville and if you go east from Nashville on I-40, you eventually go through a town called Pigeon Forge. And it's it's like right, right before you get to the Smokies. And uh, Pigeon Forge is, it might not be on 40, it might be on a different, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it's made up of like four types of buildings. And four types of institutions. The first is t-shirt retailers. <laughs> the second is shitty go-kart tracks. Oh, the third is like chain restaurants. And the fourth has to be gun stores, right? Uh, I don't remember seeing gun stores. I'm <laughs> sure that's changed. But uh, And then like crappy hotels. Mm. And after you get through Pigeon Forge, you get to Gatlinburg. And Gatlinburg was originally like a mountain, like a little mountain town. Uh, and then it became kind of like a, a tourist trap. So uh, at least when I when I left Tennessee, the last time I was there, it was still like you had a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum. Oh, and like God. that. Yeah, that level of kitsch. Yeah. But yeah, people called it the the Redneck Riviera. Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. If you um, listener, if you ever hear anyone in your life say that in seriousness, just kick them. <laughs> just give them a firm chicken <laughs> so um to your question of uh country music i i don't know you know i i my 
mom liked country to an extent. Uh, I never clicked with it beyond liking Johnny Cash and uh, Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys. Well, I'm clicking through to Spotify for this moment to yeah, add uh, that to my playlist. Yeah. Uh, do you know who Kinky Friedman is, Shark? I, 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 okay, you don't? So uh, Kinky Friedman is a dude who he, he has, he's had a weird life. Uh, for a, he, he was in the Peace Corps at one point, and then he became a mystery writer and then a musician uh, at, at the head of of a band called Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys and would regularly run and lose for governor of Texas. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's because he was in a band that had Jew in the name. <laughs> that and like he's 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 taken more and more of a re- like a right wing bent uh, that's <laughs> over sure. his life. And I think the last time he ran, he was starting to stump for Trump. So that's unfortunate. But that's a shame. It's really weird because he did a bunch of songs about uh, that were basically like pro uh, pro choice, and for a while he was on the right side of things. But yeah, old man syndrome kicked in. I think. Yep, fucking old man syndrome. Yep. So not being from the south, my relationship to country music took a more circuitous route than yours. Okay. Um, I began to fall in love with country music first during high school, as I began to cross the line from quirky but lovable child. To esoteric <laughs> crank. <laughs> At any point, would you uh, would you like sit there and you'd look off into the middle distance and kind of fantasize about getting you a truck? Absolutely and, not. <laughs> wearing just simple clothes and get you a white t shirt, some jeans, and getting a good dog, putting that dog in the back of your truck. Absolutely going. not, because no. my intro to country music happened in this incredibly roundabout way where I navigated away from the sort of soft rock Jackson Brown vibes of my parents and towards much stranger ground. This whole thing was mostly due to a project that I started when I was 13 years old. Okay. In those days, I set myself a challenge. I wanted to create a single CD with the worst possible vibes. yes tell me about it worst vibes doesn't mean like horrible songs in fact you could not pick horrible songs to go on the cd sure you also couldn't pick like weird rhythmless modern classical or even like just shitty fascist reactionary music yeah you all of those things were easy to find and compile and make a shitty cd out of there's no challenge in making a bad playlist sure what you had to do was create one cd 12 tracks, exclusively good songs, that when you put them together were completely unlistenable. Fascinating. Yeah. Why, why did you start this project? I don't fucking know. Okay. I lived in a small no, town, I, at, yeah, in a small I, town at 13 and I just found out about the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See, I did the complete opposite. You tried to create the best. I tried to create the best. Like, mm-hmm. I tried, I, I did the thing where, you, you know, I went into my uh, mind palace <laughs> and I imagine I, I I set out all of the tracks that I had, and this is you know when I don't know this probably wouldn't be in the same time frame as you, but yeah. uh, when I w- when you had like Kazaa, <laughs> and you would just like download random MP3s or at least yeah. files that said that they were MP3s <laughs> but were really viruses, yeah. 
<laughs> so I just had a bunch of random tracks and I kind of set them out of my mind palace. And I was like, all right, well, this has a segue that then matches a flogging Molly song. So it's going to match. It's going to go Steppenwolf to flogging Molly, which is then going to go into Beatles. And mm. I did that multiple times. Well, I think there's some nobleness in that pursuit. No, this yours is, is a much higher calling. Yeah, this dark postmodern version of creating a playlist that made your high school crush finally notice you was way more. <laughs> that's fun. all they were. Yeah, that's all that's they all ever were. They're like, you can't listen to what I think. <laughs> Maybe you'll like me then. Did you know I'm cultured? Um, <laughs> listen the weird, to the music. <laughs> the weird adolescent calculus of thinking Je knowing Jefferson Airplane will get you a hand job mystifies people to this day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I did you uh I used to do the thing where I got like like I had a little travel amp and <laughs> I thought I would be so cool. If I if I learned the intro to Black Dog and just played it on the back of my car in the high school parking lot. Hell yeah. But I was incapable of learning anything past the intro. <laughs> just like, doing that and then moved into another intro to another song because I just, yeah. yeah. So the, the teenage mind is horrifying. It really is. So I strongly encourage everyone listening to engage in this exact <laughs> venture because it really makes you look at music in a different, albeit perverse, sort of way. Yeah. Um, if you've never spent an otherwise lovely afternoon sitting through a drive-time rock block composed of crass, Britney Spears, Philip Glass, <laughs> Immortal Technique, Math Rock, Slipknot, and the Mountain Goats, then you've <laughs> never truly experienced music as you can in the modern era. <laughs> Do you still have this mix? absolutely not ah oh, damn I, I was the it was that kind of genre mixing okay all right <laughs> philip glass is the key yeah that's that's the linchpin track <laughs> exactly <laughs> the only way it could be better is if you got like that um uh thronopoly for hiroshima uh, <laughs> <laughs> hell yes oh the cool thing about modernity is that we live in an age of easily reproducible media, and you can cram one CD full of sounds so disparate that it would have driven uh, ancient Greek insane. It's <laughs> truly a beautiful thing. Everyone should do it. Yeah. We also spend our lives inundated by industrial strength criticism. Blog. Yeah. yeah. As, yeah. A, as a criticism podcast. <laughs> Where routinely we message each other about what we've seen on Twitter that's broken us that day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this criticism means that all the hard work of deciding what is good has already been done for you, and this makes good taste a cheap pastime for hacks. Um, <laughs> this project is perfectly explained by John Waters. Quote, to understand bad taste, one must have very good taste. Good bad taste can be creatively nauseating. Yeah. You yeah, this is yeah. what you've described as an ultimate John Waters piece. Yes, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, I didn't that yeah. That's this a is, good connection. I'm gonna... Yeah. This is this is my perfect, this is my pursuit. This is my one artistic <laughs> contribution to humanity. This is your pink flamingos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Finding the worst mixtape to ever be made <laughs> and then giving it to my wife. Who doesn't like any of the music I like normally? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's amazing! I yep. good on her. Yep. 
<laughs> She's yeah. a good woman. Yes, she is. <laughs> Who's forced to listen to hours of the mountain goats every week? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, while I learned many things during this petulant pubescent pursuit, my most treasured discovery was that there are two genres that can destroy the vibe of any record, regardless of what else is on it. Okay. 1990 to 2005 British anarchist punk rock goes with almost nothing. I don't know about that. Chumbawamba. Yeah, they're folkier stuff. Yeah. Then can go on things. But if you put like any of brass on an album yeah. next to anything yeah, else. Yeah, all right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I might have just been searching for an exception. Yeah. You were being yeah. too charitable to that yeah. genre of punk rock which is likable only to people who like unlistenable music and politically yeah. are far left you're right <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're right which i love crass and anti-flag yeah. and all this fucking guys yeah but, but that will uh, yeah obliterate the vibes <laughs> yeah the other genre is really old school country okay like that shit where acoustic fiddle was like the primary instrument and all percussion was done on a washboard. <laughs> Is it like wax cylinder recording was all like the, yeah, the rage? Yeah, like this that genre. Pre-Smithsonian folkways recording. Exactly. Yeah, all right. <laughs> on every worst CD ever, I always included some like T-Bone Slim or early Woody Guthrie or Harry McClintock or something else yeah. in that era and sound. The, the goal of that sound should be to find the scratchiest recording you can where it Absolutely. sounds like... Sounds like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, that exact thing. Yeah. If you get one of those and then an anti-flag song on the record, you're guaranteed <laughs> to just ruin the fucking vibes of whatever else you put on there. Um, do, do you? I I like the old tracks where it's like a, a short intro of the person talking, yeah. and you can you can hear their two teeth <laughs> <laughs> clacking gently together. As they yeah. Speak. yeah, exactly. Yes. My oh. pappy out in the wood, we didn't ever have room for mouth, but the only thing we could do, get, we had fatal drugs, so that's what we started doing. I'm going to play for you today. And then you cut directly into Vampire Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So my predilection for these tracks meant yeah. that I entered country as a genre full of left-wing idealists fighting coal bosses. Yeah. Like all childhood innocence, mine was abruptly brought to an end by Top Forty Radio not long uh, after. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. did you did you not know any of the Top Forty Radio stuff before you embarked on the learning about these guys? I'm sure I did, but it was just like someone put on fucking Kenny Chesney or something in a car, yeah. and my brain just went into a fugue state, and I didn't listen <laughs> to it. Okay, that's the only appropriate response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um. Country in the early 2010s was a darker place than those working class ballads led me to believe. For sure. Well, I remember country right after 9-11. Oh, we're going to talk about that a lot? Okay, all right. Like yeah, a that lot. Was, that was a dark, dark time. <laughs> yeah, very bad time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, So today, Aaron, listener, yeah. I invite you to join me as I document our culture's long fall from Utah Phillips to John Denver. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh god that would be an amazing like documentary series title <laughs> <laughs> utah phillips to john denver yeah yes oh god oh. i feel like you know I, I having grown up in the the, the year span where like high schoolers were watching Dumb and Dumber on VHS on repeat. Jesus Christ! None of us had ever listened to any John Denver, but we did know the line from Dumb from Dumb and Dumber, which is, man, that John Denver is full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel Fewer like that's, words. <laughs> that was the complete exposure to John Denver for a lot of us. And then you come to find out that John Denver never even never even uh, went to. West Virginia. Really? Yeah, that song was written by someone else entirely. Uh John Denver never went there, he just sang it. Country Road. And his hair has the most threatening aura of any hair I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen his hair. I'm gonna look it up now. He's got like a combination bowl cut mullet thing going on that Ooh. I really don't like. Oh, that's not good. Oh yeah, that's hyper seventies. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most threatening are. It's, it's not good. Real Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, big Dahmer energy. gonna ramble for a long time about history and do a bad job all right cool Let's nice <laughs> that's what i'm tuning in for i'm yeah, sure that's, that's what, what everybody that's <laughs> that's why the people keep coming back <laughs> all 14 of our listeners oh, Thanks, yeah, all of them. <laughs> don't thank them fuck you listener um, oh that's right yeah go fuck yourselves go fuck yourself <laughs> um oh i need to start by saying that I will be sticking to country. However, I don't believe in the country folk blues, bluegrass dichotomy thing that people do. Yeah. I think largely that distinction is a political wedge created for the purpose of de-revolutionizing the working class. <laughs> There's also a lot of like marketing and racism baked yes, into it. Um, absolutely. I'm sure you, you'll probably go into it, but like the reason they split up blues from folk was... Because it was black music and white music. Yeah. Um, there, I forget who it was. There was some blues guy who was interviewed about this. And they were asking about the distinction between blues and folk. And he goes, well, all music's folk music. I've never heard a horse play a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great fucking answer. Yeah. I forget who it was, but yeah, it's, it's a good one. Yep. Yeah. So if, you t- if anyone in this podcast takes offense to me calling something fucking country music and you're like wait but what do you got there he's folk or wait but that's actually blues i will want you to write a scientific document explaining to me how those things are closer to kenny chesney than say pete Seeger. and if you can't do that (laughs) shut the fuck up no gods no masters no borders no gender gender no genres (laughs) and remember there are there are three legitimately fact there are three genres (laughs) there's 
19th century classical. Yeah. There's black metal and then there's pop met pop music. Yeah. Those the are the three, the three Aaron genres. The three Aaron genres. <laughs> oh. So with that out of the way, I will now do disservice to 150 years of important history. Um, <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Country music's origin point is a hard spot to find exactly, but it's somewhere near Aaron Simons. Um, <laughs> well, geographically, my, my origin point is actually Houston. So. Oh, never mind. It's yeah. somewhere near where Aaron Simon grew up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply clouded by time, politics, and the Appalachian Mountains. This period of time we're talking about now is what I will call country prehistory. The first okay. of five periods into which I <laughs> separate country music. All right. You said, wait, country prehistory? Yes, this is the okay. prehistory. This is like the burial mounds of yeah. <laughs> yeah. history. For okay. For some reason, I chose to give all the other ones jokes on movie titles. But for this <laughs> one, I didn't for some reason. <laughs> it's who knows, you know, the art, yeah. the muse works in the ways that the muse works. It's really that I'm an artist and <laughs> I'm just setting up a false expectation to really like fucking hammer go. this joke later. Hell um, yes. <laughs> um, what we do know about country is that immigrants... Some willing, some enslaved, um, carried instruments and folk tunes from around the globe to the American Southeast. These cultural flavors then had hundreds of years to meld together into a variety of dishes, all of which objectively slap. Mm -hmm. This melting pot is the genesis of folk, blues, country, ragtime, rock and roll, and damn near everything else you would call American art. Yep. Yeah. Are you uh, charitably including rockabilly in that i am including rockabilly okay. in that. that's very kind of you to call yeah. that art <laughs> you're not you're not an elvis presley fan it's it's fine i don't really have an opinion on rockabilly it's just kind of the people are a, a little annoying yes that's absolutely yeah as with any country subgenre yeah well it's like yeah country i think rockabilly's whole shtick is we really want to be jerry lee lewis yeah <laughs> It has a sort of love for a time that was never cool, which is <laughs> yes. innovative. Exactly. <laughs> it's a bold idea. Yeah. It's like one of we were like people that no one ever was that into. <laughs> we watched Happy Days a lot when we were growing up and watched Nick at Night. So let's yeah. just do that. <laughs> yeah. Oof. It's unfortunate. Um Unfortunately, due to the poverty and oppression that people faced in those days, the pioneers of those arts really don't get the credit they deserve and can't. Yep. Just because records didn't exist, which is in a sense sad, but in another kind of inspiring. Uh, despite mm -hmm. the abject brutality of the pre-modern South, this was, for all intents and purposes, a cultural renaissance on par with anything that Europe ever dreamed of. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the I mean... Uh, if you spend time in Appalachia and talk to people who grew uh, grew up there, this this comes up a lot because you know that um, a lot of the uh, overall mainstream American perception of the region is just you know they're living in mud huts yeah. up in the mountains, <laughs> and uh, yeah, people who grew up there and whose families have lived there for generations go to great pains to explain what you're talking about where it's like people have had a lot of roots there from the foundation of the colonies and yeah uh 
for a while, like, I don't know if you're going to go into this. This may be spoilers, but like East Tennessee was more egalitarian than a lot of other regions, partially because it wasn't like arable (laughs) the same way that other areas of the South were. So uh, I think they were they tried to break away from Tennessee after Tennessee threw in with the Confederacy and uh, they were repressed by the Confederacy and yada, yada, yada. But uh, complicated history with a lot of throughways that don't really get explained. Yeah. And it's a pretty cool thing that like, I mean, it's not cool what happened to people that got them there by and large. Yeah. But it is cool that like all of these cultures came together at like one time and one place and created essentially like the music everyone listens to today. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For just like an in, an idea of how intriguing this cultural mishmashing was, we can do a like brief little object study. <laughs> three of the three of the instruments that really epitomize country music are banjo, mandolin, and pedal steel guitar, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mandolin yeah. originates in Italy. It's a descendant of the lute. It comes from a long line of European instruments, very classically hmm. Western. I did not know that it came from the lute. Yeah. Learn cool. something new every day. I did a history. yay (laughs) we're learning pedal steel guitar is a guitar um like all guitars it can probably trace its roots back to spain Mm. however no matter where the instrument's from the style that became a staple of country music is polynesian the open tuning (laughs) the slide playing the lap placement were all inventions of the hawaiian islands and they're pretty much staples of the genre which is cool yeah. So what was the cross-pollination there? Um, I think Polynesian people just for some reason wound up in the southeast. I'm not exactly sure. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how it got into country music exactly. Cool. And the banjo traces its roots to a variety of stringed instruments from the African continent, all of which used gourd bodies, wooden necks, and gut or fiber strings to make the incredibly unique sound the banjo has. Yeah. that's that, <laughs> One of the things that sticks out from like um so when you i know texas does this too but when you go through like middle school and high school in tennessee you get at least one year of tennessee history (laughs) (laughs) and that's always one line that they keep hammering home is like the banjo is actually an african instrument and it comes from gourds (laughs) oh god and then tennessee was like we've talked about all the black people we need to (laughs) and that that was just a line that i heard every year (laughs) and it's just baked into my brain you'll never be it'll be your last thought (laughs) it's it's gonna my last two thoughts are gonna be uh something about the chiss ascendancy from star wars (laughs) and then the banjo is a gourd instrument from (laughs) africa (laughs) and then i will expire yeah oh it's just super cool that in those three instruments you can like span pretty much the entire globe yeah which is rad and just like a sign of how i guess like horrific the scale of colonialism was but also like how how people kind of yeah like dealt with it in a way like yeah I mean, ultimately, you know, you you get this thing in all of these situations, all of these situations where people overcome these boundaries when they're all in the same physical space. Yeah. And kind of create something new. Yeah. And those new things are what we have or what makes up every culture. Yeah. 
which is one of the main reasons that anyone who tells you that nations should be ethnically homogenous is so fucking insane. Yeah, fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. And usually carrying a banjo. Um, <laughs> for some fucking reason. <laughs> They're ignorant. Yeah. Those fucking inbred hill cannibals. We must take the banjo back. Reclaim the banjo. <laughs> the only, I mean, to be clear, guys, the the inbred hill cannibals are specifically the ones from The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. That's where Nick Fuentes comes from. Yeah, it's those guys and the Habsburg monarchs that I mean when I refer <laughs> to inbred hill cannibals. <laughs> uh, follow the Habsburgs on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, watch them get bullied. <laughs> watch some dude defend inbreeding. <laughs> in a way that is truly insane. Yep. Um, oh, one of the other cool things about this time in country's prehistory is that because of this sort of renaissance's multicultural and southern roots, pretty much none of this art was super popular with the top hat and monocle crowd of that day. <laughs> this meant that second to multiculturalism, poverty was kind of the other load-bearing influence of the music created at this time and place. And the politics of poverty are inseparable from the music. It was born yep. of slavery, genocide, violent labor uprising, indescribable economic collapse, environmental catastrophe. These new genres were just like made of displacement and suffering and genocide and in some way represent the joy that was found in tormented lives in a way that is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And will ruin any CD you put them on, unfortunately. <laughs> this is a sad fact. Especially, you gotta get those prime folkways recordings yeah. Yeah. with some dude who just had an early tape recorder in the 20s and just stuck a microphone on a rickety table yeah. in front of an old man who could barely play his guitar anymore <laughs> i love those those stories about the folkways guys like yeah. that's one of the redeeming qualities about like museums yeah is when they do stuff like that mm -hmm. and the smithsonian in particular uh, there's good archival work there for sure. Yeah, like yeah. there's I've got a Dave Von Ronk collection by the Smithsonian Folkways people, and it's solid. Nice. It's like four CDs and it's great. Yeah. The thing I love about anyone recording Dave Von Ronk is that I'm sure he fucking would hate it. Like the people <laughs> putting his music to the world, I'm sure he'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me happy anytime I listen, especially if they work with the Smithsonian somehow. <laughs> Yeah, you can hear uh, there's there's a one of the CDs like kind of segues into a live show he did somewhere in the village, and it's like just constant shifting on a rickety chair. You can hear him just like putting down the bottle of whiskey in between songs, and he's oh, mumbling yeah. about what blues artist he found in a in a bar. <laughs> like, just wanted to talk to. Him. That's awesome. Yeah, Dave Von Ronk unequivocally yeah. stand <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh so while all these various swirling traditions and influences make country's precise birth hard to document the moment when country exploded onto the scene as a true cultural force is really easy to point to it's a jam session known as the bristol sessions okay which we will use as the demarcation of era two an okay. era i refer to as country pig in the city <laughs> 
it d- is Bristol referring to Bristol, Tennessee? It is referring to Bristol, Tennessee. Which now, sadly, is only remarkable for a NASCAR race that's there every year. <laughs> and a museum about the Bristol Sessions. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Never went to Bristol. Uh, I had a... So when I was working in social work, I had a coworker who went out there every year for for the NASCAR, not the, uh, the museum. Not the not the museum. Not the museum. But. I feel like they attract a different crowd. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, that's my, that's my yeah. bad. Yeah, she was cool. I think she would have liked the museum that she knew about. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. These sessions were put together by a man named Ralph Peer, who, despite not being a musician, had an almost impossibly sized impact on music. He was one of those right place, right time, right people sort of dudes. Mm -hmm. He set out into the South at the dawn of like records being easily mass producible to press the great hometown acts into vinyl and sell them nationwide. Hmm. And he'd go on to work with everyone from Jimmy Rogers to Count Basie to the Big Bopper, helping to popularize pretty much every genre we listen to today. Hmm. Um, Now, fuck him, because he was a capitalist and not an artist, but... It's impossible to talk about these genres without discussing him. Yeah. We just shouldn't lionize a white dude for knowing that Lo, uh, that Armstrong was going to be good at playing the trumpet. Like, <laughs> we all could have done that. He was sure. just there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think you're making the argument that we shouldn't hold him up. Yeah, as, as the paragon. <laughs> yeah, when you have all of these legitimate artists instead. Yeah. Just want to specify that very clearly. But we have sure. to mention him. Um, I mean, we get constant letters of hatred, yeah, about the takes that we have. So I understand yeah. that. That's yeah. From all I mean, the, the Shrek episode just went up, and I've been just under a deluge <laughs> of hatred, <laughs> mostly from me during the Shrek episode, <laughs> mostly from you during the episode. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> God, that was a fun one. <laughs> completely delusional writing it to be as mean as possible to aaron was one of my great joys as i was suffering from (laughs) as i was suffering from covid brain just real great it was awesome (laughs) oh yeah so peers had a great feel for the pulse of the music market but if I see a biopic about him rather than one of the artists he worked with, I will chisel L.A. into the fucking Pacific Ocean. You, you already should. Believe me, Los Angeles, after that McDonald's guy biopic, y'all are on goddamn thin ice about yeah, making that, movies about businessmen. That wasn't even good. No. It was like, and I feel, it, uh, Michael Keaton, I like Michael Keaton. Was that it's, Michael Keaton? That was Michael Keaton, pretty sure. The founder, right? Yeah. Uh... IMDb really should that was Michael Keaton yeah wow it had a great cast yeah it 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 just it was fine there wasn't really much to it but it was a movie that shouldn't have existed just like yeah the Ralph Peer movie that I'm sure I will have to watch during my life at some point you will there is some some screenwriter right now who is finishing his spec script yeah and is getting ready to hit send on a massive list to agents yeah yeah, who was one like, of them is going to be on enough cocaine to accept it. To accept it. Who's like, let's not make a movie about Satchmo. Let's make a fucking movie about <laughs> this dude who knew he was going to be good at music. There's got, yeah, and it's going to be turned into a white savior story. Yeah. Um, Mahershala Ali is going to play Satchmo. Yeah. And be <laughs> absolutely riveting. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm not her show is good. I finished watching True so Detective good. season three a while ago. Yeah. Real good. Yeah. He's very good at the acting. Yeah. It, I know, uh, I know this is exactly what you wanted to talk about. So I know that he he's been struggling to get blade off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and uh personally i think that would i'm very intrigued by him working on blade yeah mahershala (laughs) ali's blade sounds awesome yeah i mean wesley snipes was great yeah no it was i i I, i've seen the second one once i never saw trinity Mm. which i heard was dog shit uh two do you remember um the whole ain't it cool news thing yeah do you remember the the review about blade 2 no oh god it's repulsive the dude (laughs) the whole thing is like he's at the premiere and he's like i'm watching this movie and i know del toro goes down on (laughs) and he just starts fucking christ calling on about like his weird visualization about it's weird <laughs> it was a fucking weird dude that the Harry Knowles. <laughs> not into that image at all. <laughs> no, you should not be. <laughs> Absolutely should not be. Well, nope. Just think about that as you're watching his new Pinocchio movie. Pinocchio goes down on um... <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh convinced. <laughs> no, let's continue talking yeah. about this. Yeah. <laughs> Convinced that there was gold in them hills, Pure was touring Appalachia, searching for the best of the regional music. Mm-hmm. During this time, he set up in a hat and gloves store and <laughs> put out an ad that he would give a listen to any comers and record anyone who was good. So basically, oh brother, where art thou? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it actually yeah. is based on the Bristol Jam Sessions, that scene. No shit. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a very similar thing, and yeah. in a similar way, like, um, initial interest was kind of non-existent, mm-hmm. but Pierre was able to press a great song or two and make a good amount of money for the artists and for himself. Yeah. And then everybody was fucking coming to Bristol. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It is. Yeah. You can, uh, you can still find this collection in the Library of Congress. It's hugely influential. Mm-hmm. It's this and a few other notable East Tennessee and Atlanta jams and recording sessions that started the chain reaction that made country music into the national market we know it today. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not all country music at the time came from this spot. For example, Harry McClintock's banger Big Rock Candy Mountain, which is still yeah. good. You know, that's on Oh Brother Where Art Thou. It is. Soundtrack. And again, I was listening to the Strike episode. And we were talking about the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack, and you and Rachel, the troglodytes, <laughs> were still saying that Shrek is better, but Oh Brother Where Art Thou is basically this fucking compilation. And here we are now, in the year of our Lord 2022, <laughs> same year that we recorded that episode, I guess. But, yeah. uh, you know, just saying. The Shrek soundtrack is still better disagree um, go eat moss off a cave wall <laughs> you subhuman if you are ever walking in the woods quietly singing big rock candy mountain to yourself is one of the best things you can do for your mental health and i will die on this hill but mcclintock was from the west coast and not the south mm. but was influential on the genre 
But by and large, acts like the Skillet Lickers, Jimmy Rogers, and the Carter family would all become stars and were all from this like East Tennessee Atlanta scene. I feel like the Skillet Lickers is a good name for a crust punk band. Yeah, it's still a great band name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You hear a lot of the old ones and it's like, ah, Bimity Bop and the Seven Dudes. And it's like, no, that's a bad name. But, yeah, the but then you lickers, get the Skillet Lickers. Uh, like, hell yes. Slaps. <laughs> Those dudes forage in dumpsters. <laughs> Well, how come you call yourselves the skillet lickers? Because that's how you get the good grace. <laughs> Factual. <laughs> right off the right off the fire. It's just some little anarchist in overalls with a banjo. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't call himself an anarchist because he doesn't know what that word means. No, yeah. <laughs> it's just folk taking care of folk. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a possum that was made human by a witch's <laughs> spell. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and I wrote this in the script, if you are looking for an accessible touchstone for what this often sounded like, I would point you to the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. See? It has better recording quality than a lot of the music recorded in this day, and it has a similar vibe. It's yeah. a good place to get into the genre yep. of old-timey country music. Mm -hmm. So... I'm now about to skirt over a bunch of really great music in an effort to get to what I want to talk about. This is the coastal elite bullshit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I am sorry, Aaron. Life is a limited resource. We are all being pulled towards the underworld. I am not Kenneth Byrne. Oh, wait. We're not doing an 11 hour series about country music? No. Okay. <laughs> this is a brief, brief survey of the late 20s and early 30s. What age do you think you have to be and when? Uh, what, what age will you be when the kid, the Ken Burns gene turns on? Yeah. And can... You just start watching the baseball series and then the Civil War series. <laughs> I feel like whenever someone in my friend group has a child. Mm. then i can then like something unlocks and it's like i am of the dad age yeah 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 that explains a lot about me then and i can listen to 14 hours of someone talk about jazz then you get real excited about finding a uh a uh, a source book for D D fifth edition that's set in the revolutionary war period you were you very excited about it and you see oh one of the national origins is sephardic this is great <laughs> yeah. you can you can specialize in our acadian as a national language jesus christ <laughs> i cannot and will not i will Prevent my friends from having children. Says says the person who got excited about possibly doing a French Revolution campaign. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. The French Revolution is the cool revolution, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, it's the same mechanics. You don't have to change anything. You just port it over a continent. Anyway. Yeah. that's not And right. unlike the American Revolution, everybody fucked. <laughs> Everyone. Everyone. Constant. Everyone. The only man to make it through the whole thing successfully made it through on fucking. There you go. Look at the life of Talleyrand. Really cool guy. Sort yeah. of. Real bastard. <laughs> um, Do you think Talleyrand would have liked country music? Absolutely. Because um, he liked fucking. There you go. Um, 
I feel that the 20s and 30s still fall into the pig in the city era because despite being popular nationally, this was still very much a regional sound. They were still yeah. very much pigs in the big city. Yeah. Um, it's like before that point where cities in America really homogenized. Yeah. Yeah. So you could still be a pig in the city. You could still be a pig in the city. Yeah. In the early 1930s, country gained more momentum with the Grand Ole Opry, a yeah. jam session in Nashville which started broadcasting on the AM clear channels, which reached way more people. It's sort of fun swinging vibe would cement it as a staple of American music, which it is to this day. Like every country act performs there. There's yeah, it's, a, it's a, the Ryman auditorium, I think at the I grand think, old Opry. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, and it's, it's a cool venue. I've never is. been, but yeah. I've watched concerts from yeah, there. It's cool. Yeah. It's wildly expensive to get tickets there. But I would assume so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's one of those things like the Fillmore where you're just paying to be like, I went to a concert there. And it's yeah, like my boss when I was working in Nashville went to go see BB um, King there. Mm, that and... must have been fucking absurd. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it was it was pricey. Yeah, I don't remember how much, but yeah, she was saying <laughs> it was very expensive. Yeah, the Opry was big because it platformed like genre luminaries Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass, and D. Ford Bla- Bailey, a hugely influential black country star who played the harmonica and like changed the way the harmonica was played. Okay, I've never heard of that guy. It doesn't seem like a huge deal now to say he revolutionized the harmonica, but it fucking was then. I mean, um, you think about it, like some of the. I'm a sh- I'm sure that his style influenced Bob Dylan. Yeah. Who has had another huge impact on American music. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and the Opry helped to show that the genre could be like nationally viable as radio jams. So there were a bunch more stations like it not long after. The other thing that happened in the 30s is that Americans found out that they really, really, really wanted to watch young men pretend to be cowboys on on TV. <laughs> well, on, in movies. <laughs> God, you know, I, I I don't know if we've ever chatted about the Coen brothers, but <laughs> they do so many movies about these things, like um, Hail Caesar. Mm-hmm. They're one about Hollywood in the 40s. Which is surprisingly good. Yeah, I like it a lot. It got... It, it, it I don't got know if Pam. It got, yeah, it did. It was weird. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, um, what's his name? Han Solo, his whole role in that movie was as cowboy man yeah he was like he can't he can barely speak he doesn't understand how to act but he knows how to sing and he knows how to ride horses yeah (laughs) yeah and there was a lot of people like him just yeah there was just something about those smiling strapping muscular young men that just aroused (laughs) american interest at the time that's so weird I don't know what it was that yeah, that's, Americans so, huh. let's say, titillated by these young <laughs> people. I got the vapors watching, <laughs> yeah. watching um, Stagecoach, and I tell you, it's just so <laughs> thrilling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who can say what got them all so horned up back then? Um, uh, and then, as now, if you really want to make people come, you make a music. You do a music. <laughs> you um, do a music. Which was the birth of the singing cowboy. Acts like Gene Autry and Roy Rogers crooned their way into our hearts one soulful ballad at a time. Becoming some of the first big multi-platform stars. And the character in Hail Caesar is just like those guys to yeah. a T. Yeah. yeah. It's good shit. It is. It's fairly good. Underrated. Yeah. 
Go listen. Go watch that movie. Yeah. It's, go, it's watch, go watch Hail Caesar. You know, my, my, uh, I think the, the Coen brothers are really the only guys who use him this way, but schmucky Clooney is the yeah. best Clooney. Yeah. They, they, they want him, everyone else wants to make him likable and he just yeah. isn't. <laughs> yeah. There's, he get he gets, he, you know, the thing about, uh, him and the pig <laughs> for a long time, he had a pet pig and, uh, he was dating some like uh, you know some other mega actress or model or something and she started saying like if you don't you got to kick the pig out of bed if you don't i'm leaving you and so he broke up with her i take it back he's done nothing wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah george Clooney seems like an all right guy <laughs> yeah, yeah i like i like pigs <laughs> i don't like people very much um <laughs> I've never been a pig I couldn't talk to. It's a Churchill thing, right? Is it? Yeah, he's got some quote about, like, respecting pigs. No, he looked Uh, a lot like a pig, so that makes sense. Yeah, Uh, here we go. Churchill pig quote. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fond of, hold on. I am fond of pigs. Dogs look up to us. Cats look down on us. Pigs treat us as equals. I do know this quote because it's in Civilization VI. Exactly. (laughs) Read by Sean Bean. (laughs) I am fond of pigs. That's yeah, great. It, it tapped into the rat brain immediately when you started saying it. It's like optimizing tile production. <laughs> As you frantically quick, click out of the the uh the research box because you've heard it 70 times. Already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sean Bean, for ruining your objectively hot voice. <laughs> um, the most important thing we should take away from the Pig in the City era is that it was a time of genre tension. As the genre became popular, it marched out into a variety of new and exciting subgenres, from like New Mexican country to the more Texas and swing-oriented stuff. Mm-hmm. Just the increased visibility let everyone put their own spin on it. However, a lot of the genre creation was overshadowed by the whole singing cowboy crowd, which were largely yep. straight, white, male, and marketable. Yep. With uh, with greater distribution comes homogenization. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Yep. Running parallel to this marketability is the two unmarketable genres at the time, folk and blues. Yeah. Yeah, blues is, like, that's a, the, the blues has a great history. Yeah. And so much of it runs along the Mississippi and nowhere else. Yeah. For a lot of its history. And, and it's all so fucking good. Yeah. Really um, fuck. Like if you ever go to Memphis, like that's the only reason to go to Memphis. Blues. <laughs> is the blues. Yeah. I don't really care about the barbecue. Yeah. But yeah, that New Orleans is a great city because of blues and Absolutely, jazz. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um from the end of the Civil War to the election of Franklin Roosevelt in the 1930s, I would say that America fought a second Civil War. Ooh. The most famous battle of this happened at Blair Mountain in Mingo County, West Virginia. Oh, okay. Yep. But a labor conflict tore through the whole fucking nation, and martial law was declared in like most major American cities. And people were getting shot and killed and there were huge fights and the army was murdering people in the streets for a period of like 70 or 80 years. Yep. And um, during the, this... The, the one that always gets talked about is the Haymarket. Yeah. Affair, yeah. But really, there's so much more to it, with, yeah. especially in the Southeast. And I was talking to a friend earlier today about uh, 
you know, one of the many explanations for the term redneck is, uh, you know, workers in the mines in Appalachia were, you know, wore red bandanas when they were on strike. Mm -hmm. So that's one explanation for the term. There's like 700, but yeah, that yeah. would be the most based explanation. That would be the most based one. <laughs> yeah. Far surpasses well, people work out in the in the sunlight, so they get burning. Yeah, like that's yeah. not fun. <laughs> now, now we're we're going with the mythology here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and in some ways, both blues and folk were born in like the crucible of this second American Civil War. It was wandering groups of migrant laborers and capitalism avoiders who basically got to fuck off and make music in cool ways that kind of forged both of these genres because they weren't fucking working in coal mines all day or some shit yeah um while kind of the whiter side of things became folk and people like woody guthrie the blacker side had a kind of more soulful edge and so became the blues but obviously these distinctions are incredibly blurry yeah, I mean, if you listen to the music, it sounds very yeah. similar. And yeah. there's always a lot of overlap. Like Woody Guthrie recorded a bunch with black musicians. Yeah. Um, especially when it, when he was working with the Works Progress Administration on kind of the arts side of things. He did yeah. some recordings. With, sorry. With some black artists and yada, yada, yada. But yeah. good history. And like Lead Belly is like yeah. unbelievably influential and doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, if you listen to uh, the Nirvana Unplugged album, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Kurt Cobain talks about Lead Belly a couple of times on that recording. Yeah, they do. Um, Where did you sleep last night? It's one of the last songs on that one. Yeah, and it's yeah. fucking great. Yeah, um, and he was the only musician good enough to just fucking stab multiple people yeah. and keep having them be like, come on down. Uh-huh. I think like Robert Johnson did shit like that too. Yeah. Before he eventually died. You know, because he made a deal with the devil. And <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And the politics and soulfulness that happened in both of these genres would like be a through line for country music for years until the most date rapey white men in existence would take both of them out <laughs> after 9-11, but we'll get there. Um, We're not talking about Jerry Lee Lewis. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. So this brings us out of the pig in the city era because okay. we're about to jump forward to the 1940s. Okay. Which is the beginning of an era I would like to call Country the Music Part 7, Country Takes Manhattan. <laughs> All right. So here's here we're gonna I'm gonna throw the brakes on the podcast again. <laughs> and I'm gonna do a game. I'm gonna name three Muppets. And you have to tell me which country blues or folk artists they're most similar to. <laughs> First one, Gonzo. Go. Uh, Gonzo definitely feels like Dave Von Rock. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. Uh, <clears throat> Sam the Eagle. Sam the Eagle. I don't know why the first thing that came to my head was Dolly Parton, but it was. That's a questionable one, but I'll let you have yeah, it. Yeah, there's <laughs> something going on there. Yeah, um, and then Beaker. Question? Hmm. I feel like Beaker might be one of those unnamed possum men. <laughs> yeah. yeah Beaker. Beaker is the unnamed possum man that forged the genre during the prehistory period. 
So it's the 1940s. World War II is the new big thing. Everyone famous in the U.S. is trying to pretend they didn't like Hitler in the first place. (laughs) And everyone loves baseball because it's the past, so you have four hours to kill on a Tuesday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) We hadn't invented time, and country music (laughs) was about to break big. We hadn't invented time. We hadn't. People still watch baseball. You can't watch baseball once you've invented time, Aaron. Shit, I got places to be. I can't go to a game at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it's fucking 2 on a Thursday, and you want me to watch the Reds play the Mariners? Absolutely. No, well, the Reds and the Mariners aren't going to be playing and playing each other that frequently. Yeah. It's going to be the Reds and and the Pirates. Yeah. Which is possibly one of the most depressing matchups in baseball. Absolutely. And I refuse to watch because it's fucking two in the afternoon on a Thursday. <laughs> There's no reason to spend four hours on uh, this. I, I still have my MLB radio subscription, so sometimes I listen in to... Wow, that is the most old-timey thing I've ever heard in my life. Yep. You listen to baseball on the radio? Yep. <laughs> There's something peaceful about it. I don't know. It's great. You just... The 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 people the the announcers just kind of chatter, <laughs> like well yeah so we got a good team today you know there's a lot of spirit oh strike two on the plate brings the count to two, three and two full count the thing I really like about this guy and it, that's the entire broadcast it's wonderful <laughs> there's some truly great YouTube compilations of announcers talking about non baseball things when yeah. great baseball things happen which is yeah. worth watching <laughs> yeah, it's like there's um. One guy who is universally hated is Joe Buck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. he is on a lot of those compilations. Absolutely. That guy fucking sucks. <laughs> um, so for an example of the kind of things that came out in the 1940s, um, Irving Berlin wrote God Bless America, which is a horrible song. <laughs> and made Woody Guthrie write This Land is Your Land, which oh, is a was good that, song. Was that Irving Berlin? That was Irving Berlin. It's oh, a terrible song. <laughs> yeah. If you want to mm. hear the worst song ever, you listen to God Bless America. If you want to hear the worst rendition of the worst song ever, you listen to Dennis Haster sing it on the steps of the Capitol after 9-11. <laughs> Fuck, I forgot about it. It's it's the worst oh. musical performance that's ever happened, and it's almost a thing of beauty. It's like a John Waters-esque sketch of just like the worst thing you could make. You got once we eventually get there, you have to splice that into the yeah. episode. <laughs> Dennis Astor's stirring rendition of God Bless America. Oh no. Yeah, it's really bad. Um yeah, so Woody Guthrie is writing yeah. This Land is Your Land. Wed Belly is becoming unbelievably influential. Mm-hmm. Josh White is somehow both openly political, black, and nationally marketable in the 1940s. <laughs> um, Pete Seeger goes without saying. Hank Williams is becoming <laughs> the Hank Williams during this I feel like time. Pete Seeger is a guy who's. <laughs> he, he recorded starting in 580. Yeah, he's just <laughs> fucking churning out music for like yeah. just centuries. An unbelievable amount of time. Yeah. Ooh, if you play the, the interactive documentary Assassin's Creed Valhalla, you can find Pete, Pete Seeger in uh, London and he's yeah. strumming on a lute. And, you know, he's been recording since then. Yeah, he's just been <laughs> playing forever. Yeah. Sitting I'm always obsessed. Warbling. 
I'm always obsessed with those people who just like lived an endless amount of time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've been on record as saying I'm not a big fan of Pete Seeger, but still respect him. I feel like no one's a big fan of Pete Seeger, but everyone respects him. My mom is a big fan of Pete. I mean, everyone's parents are a big <laughs> fan of Pete I worked with people in the social work agency who were very big fans of Pete Seeger. <laughs> oh, God. That feels like a social worker yeah. thing to do. They're, they're all very nice people, but yeah. 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 It's one of those people like... um uh oh my god uh leo tolstoy who was like mm. born just after the death of napoleon and died just before the rise of the bolsheviks and it's like how did you do that in one lifetime i feel like pete seeger is <laughs> gonna be another one of those dudes yeah absolutely it's just like what <laughs> how did you pull this off yeah they're gonna be like yeah pete seeger was born when they were like doing hoedowns and recording on wax and then he <laughs> died while they were smashing atoms with a supercomputer and you're gonna be like what <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. meanwhile, like, you know, for our generation, it's just going to be, yeah, you know, we, we grew up and we were still going to the stars, and now we're smashing rocks together for fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> going to be, like, explaining to someone what a computer is. <laughs> there, oh, yeah, I was listening to uh, Behind the Bastards recently, and Robert brings up uh, Reign of Fire. Yeah. <laughs> the the uh, the movie where dragons take over, and one of the scenes there the the elders of the community are recounting the events of star wars by a fire <laughs> and that's that's gonna be what happens you've been preparing your whole life for that I've, i have been i have this i have all of the well i have several of the timothy's on thrawn books on my bookshelf and i'm just i'm waiting for my time to shine <laughs> oh yeah so like this whole new wave of 40 stars lets country music like really hit the big time and become like one of the important genres. Yeah. But country really kills a bunch of teenagers in the big city when the 1950s and 60s roll along. I don't know if I'm the only human being who watched Jason Takes Manhattan. Does, does anyone else get this I, bit? I've okay, that was a bit. No, I've yeah. never seen that movie. It's Friday I the thought, 13th. Oh, wait, Takes Manhattan. Yeah, Friday the Is, 13th, seven. Jason Takes I, see, Manhattan. I assumed you were doing a riff on Muppets Take Manhattan. No, Friday the 13th, oh. 7, Aaron. <laughs> oh, okay. I was wondering where the 7 came from. Because <laughs> everyone That's... was clamoring after Friday the 13th, 6 for another That's... one. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The nation was aghast at the idea were... of not having a 7. Yeah, no yeah. one... People, uh, people like me definitely were thinking about that, not yeah. Muppets Take Manhattan, which is no. a superior movie by far. Objectively. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like the 1950s and 60s is when country really does take Manhattan. Um, yeah. Country stars didn't just, weren't just a part of the culture anymore. They kind of like were the culture. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Cash, is... Graham Parsons, Chuck Berry, Phil Oaks, Etta James, Bob Dylan, Elvis Presley, Dave Unronk, the list goes yeah. on. This is the genesis of the Times Square cowboy guy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. uh, <laughs> a perfect avatar of all yes. good music at this time. <laughs> Ooh. All Phil the Oaks. Oh, what a guy. Oh, Phil Oaks. Great, great musician. Yeah. My dad learned how to play I Ain't a Marching Anymore from Phil Oaks. Like directly? Yes. Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah, he was doing music. He was doing some like background music production in the Bay Area during the 1960s and was like doing a concert where Phil Oaks was recording and he taught him oh, the cool. riff backstage. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. It's a cool story. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool guy. If you haven't listened to Love Me, I'm a Liberal, it will never it's... get old. I, I played that for a uh, a friend of mine who's like an ancient hippie. Yeah. And he, for some reason, he had never really listened to Phil Oaks interesting and like he it was the first time he'd heard love me i'm a liberal and he was very confused (laughs) so do we not like liberals now (laughs) no we never did it's like buddy you're you're kind of missing the point here (laughs) yeah this song was recorded in the early 60s yeah (laughs) aka redacted the song yep also listen to jello by afro version which is yes great it is a great song. Jello yeah. Biafra. Well, he can't do wrong, but that's a good song. <laughs> yeah, he can do some wrong, but that is yeah. a good version. <laughs> yeah. Um, all these acts at the time made the instrumentations and arrangements that would become staples of country music into like popular musical yeah. memes. Like and they I, became like, the culture. I, I know we're trying to be compact yeah. <laughs> with our, our, our recounting, but I'm going to reject that immediately. <laughs> and, and just, you know, I want to point out, and there's there's uh the various like biographies and biopics of him kind of do a decent job of it, but like Johnny Cash had a good good shtick. Maybe no, shtick is not the right word, but uh doing a lot of like prison work. Yeah. And trying to reach out to prisoners who were Living in a time that was truly hell to be in a prison. Absolutely. And uh yeah, like Folsom Prison Blues, the album or uh Live at San Quentin. Live at San Quentin is incredible. Yeah, that's one I need to get on vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I might pick that. Let's... I actually get into a lot about Johnny Cash later on. Oh, you do? Is, okay. All right. He is a mysterious character to me. <laughs> yeah, he um, is. Uh all right. Well, I won't go yeah. more than. Yeah, the person I think best epitomizes the era of like 60s country isn't Johnny Cash, though. It's Graham Parsons. Okay. Um, he was the ultimate rhinestone cowboy. He mm-hmm. was everything and nothing. He was a rocker, a country singer, a bluegrass and blues player. Was he a, a joker? Was a he smoker, a smoker? A mid-10 <laughs> joker, yeah. uh, He was a small town kid who was the most L.A. person possible. Um, and his musical legacy cannot be overstated despite the fact that almost no one remembers his name today if you haven't listened to his shit the gilded palace of sin is a top five album all time i will die on this hill and he has the single funniest death story of any musician ever please tell he died in joshua tree which he liked a lot and his body was going to be sent home, but he didn't want that to happen. So a bunch of his friends stole his corpse from LAX airport. And it's just fucking great. Barry is alive. <laughs> Barry is alive. Yeah. You have heard him vocalize. Yeah. Yeah. That's a rare treat. <laughs> okay, bud. <sighs> nope. All right. And I think he epitomizes this era because like almost all great Barry? acts of that. Yes, Barry. Okay. <laughs> Whose body we will also have to steal from an airport. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> For his various crimes against humanity, they, they will try to, try to take him, him to the Hague. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
because Parsons blended the sounds of traditional country with like the technology and aesthetics of the 1960s, which is pretty much what every great act did that day. Parsons was just the best at it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what sort of marks this Jason takes Manhattan era of country music is yeah. that they not took Muppets. no, no, definitely <laughs> not Muppets. They took the kind of pig in the city sound. And made it accessible to the Greenwich Village, Greenwich just, Village crowd. Just saying, you really should have kept with the Muppets because uh, Miss Piggy in the city. I will not be bullied <laughs> by your attempt at script cohesion. <laughs> I refuse. My art will not stand this way. Refuse. <laughs> I want. I will talk about Friday the 13th. All right, fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So country music truly becomes a phenomena here, but it's also the end of the era because the 60s counterculture crashes on the sandbar of getting a job, you goddamn hippies, (laughs) which is what all of our parents did. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So this begins the new era of the late 1960s to... The 1990s, an era I will dub Backlash to the Future. Okay. (laughs) Okay. This is a confusing time for country music. It did create some bangers. It also created some truly horrible sounds. (laughs) It was a time of contrast. On the one hand, we had to pretend that Hank Williams Jr. is a human being and not a (laughs) being. Given life by Richard Nixon. Yeah. The original was not worse than anyone else. Yeah. Um, but the junior is just not good. No. And is it Hank the Third who's even worse? Oh, God. I, I think don't even so. know about Hank the Third. I'm sure I saw him at some point on the internet and was like, nah, I'm probably not did. getting better. <laughs> yeah. But in the same genre of Outlaw Country, Willie Nelson is a fun time and has a yeah. song about how cowboys want to fuck each other that's genuinely good. <laughs> Willie Willie Nelson, a guy who I don't think can do any wrong. Yeah. Friends with Snoop Dogg. Smokes a ton of weed. Smokes a ton of weed. Seems fine. I think he's still touring, right? Or is I he... think so. Yeah. Pop country during this time made me listen to John Denver, which is my least favorite thing ever, no. but also created Dolly Parton, who's one of the greatest American writers of all time. Yeah. Loretta Lynn, who people like. Yeah. Yeah. Linda Ronstadt, who is my fantasy manic pixie dream girl, had to (laughs) play at the same time as Leonard Skinner. Just dark (laughs) and complicated. Okay, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, Linda Ronstadt. She was awesome. And she did way better versions of Warren Zevon songs than Warren Zevon did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the reason this time in the genre is what it is and why I'm calling it backlash to the future is that this was the time we were forging our current American cultural identities. Mm. Nixon was creating modern, was creating modern conservatism. The religious right was becoming a major political force and the South was becoming the The modern day South. Yeah. Big quotes. Um, I'll be getting into all of this in depth later on, but to really understand what I'm talking about, we have to look at a guy from the previous generation and contrast him to this next wave of stars. A man who could never exist in the post-Nixon era was Johnny Cash. 
He did concerts in prison. He lived on amphetamines. He did a ton of crime. <laughs> he hung out with Billy Graham. He hated the police. He hated hippies yeah. and leftists. He loved America. He supported the troops and got booed at a concert for saying, I thank God for the freedoms we have in this country, even the <laughs> right to burn flags. <laughs> yeah, you're right. After Nixon, yeah. that person does not exist. He's like an unbelievable enigma if you put him like yeah. next to Hank Williams Jr. Yeah. Absolutely. He could only exist in an age when, like, politics wasn't as much of an all or nothing. Yeah. Not to say it was, like, better. It was just different. Yeah. But you had dudes like Johnny Cash. Definitely. Who simultaneously can, like, shit on hippies and also flip off the security camera at San Quentin. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He's just the kind of dude that doesn't exist anymore. No. I don't I don't think there's anyone who's close to that. Yeah. You keep trying to like I think especially with uh mainstream movies you you keep trying to or studios keep trying to create actors mm-hmm. who are like that and then inevitably they're all like Chris Pratt. Yeah. And or John Krasinski. Yeah. <laughs> and just reprehensible. Yeah. They're either like soft liberal sex crimers or like a hardline fascist weirdos yeah <laughs> whereas, whereas johnny cash was hey well i think there's a there's a third sex crimer <laughs> i don't think that he was a fascist he's just like yeah i mean i don't you know yeah. he's yeah. like a comp he actually had complicated politics which like yeah. no star does today no, I think you get there's a third bucket of just weirdos. Yeah. Who are not on either like easily pegged, like Crispin Glover. Yeah. Is a supreme weirdo human being. And I <laughs> I feel like Ryan Gosling is like that too. I have no idea what his politics are. I don't know what his politics are, but you see him act in yeah. some movies and you're like, this is a deeply strange individual. Yeah. You can see it in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He is not okay in there. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just okay. like, I have no idea what Crispin Glover's politics are, but he owns a castle somewhere in, in Chechia. So. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. I feel that this like whole time is best epitomized by a Merle Haggard song, Okie sure. from Muskogee, which even Merle Haggard can't decide if it's a joke or not. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, there's this whole thing of, like, force it. All art is political to some extent. But yeah. at this time, it became, like, hackneyed political. Yeah. See, this is it, this song always reminds me of a Kinky Friedman song. Uh, it's similar in tone. It's called They Ain't Making Jews Like Jesus Anymore. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> it's, it's about a dude who gets into a bar fight with a huge racist and uh the chorus is they ain't making jews like jesus anymore um they ain't making jews like jesus anymore they don't i can't remember the lyrics but it's a it's a good one that's funny yeah oh yeah so like it's just what it's like the partisan hackery reached like no end this was the banana peel that began country music's fall from grace was this like yeah. Fucking Nixon's Southern strategy. Everyone's got to have politics as a lifestyle brand, a genre of thing. Yeah. You get into that thing where you self set. Yeah. It's, I guess, self segregated is a deep word for it, but the identity comes closely tied with like the Billy Graham 
yeah. evangelical movement that gets lined up with hardline right politics. Yeah. And <clears throat> this is what like paves the way to the next era of country music, which I will call they all flew over the cuckoo's nest for reasons that will come become clear soon. Okay. Um Stadium <laughs> Country has come to exist at this point in the 90s. Okay, so we're in the 90s now. Yeah. It's personified in folks like Garth Brooks and Kenny Chesney. Yep. And it's bad. Like, it's just bad. There's nothing memorable about these guys. I forget who said it. It might have been Springsteen. There are two kinds of music, good music and bad music. Yeah. And this is bad music by, like, all objective metrics. Yeah. This is when, so, uh, well, yeah, like, this is about when we moved to Tennessee, is late 90s, so I remember Garth Brooks yeah. at this time. Yeah, it was really like the boy <laughs> bandification of the genre. Yep. They took, like, the sound of Leonard Skinner and the politics and, like, slick marketability of NSYNC. Yeah. It was, like just the worst um it's a genre whose trademarks were like simple four chord songs major keys good looking white men and being tailor-made to be played on the radio like softly in the background of a party and this is where you start getting the uh stereotype of country music being about trucks dogs hunting yeah it's elevator music for racists it's like just a terrible genre you know, it, it was when I was in middle school, we had like a class trip to go to the Country Music Hall of Fame. And one of the things we did was like there's some song songwriter who came in to talk to us about country music. And he was like, yeah, I want you guys to break up into groups and write a country song. And so it was like me and another kid who and we just wrote a song called 57 Chevy. <laughs> about like wanting to have a 57 chevy you really get the genre <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you in no way wanted a 57 chevy <laughs> absolutely not but like... you are a man who wants to live in a major metropolitan city <laughs> writing a song about wanting a truck and that is where it's headed <laughs> <laughs> yep i i took tin pan alley yeah and and enlarged it <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, <laughs> there is some good music being made during this time. Most of it by people of color or women. Um, the problem for them is that they got just fucking buried for their yep. political opinions and being yep. decent human beings. Oh, do you mean the Dixie proper. Chicks, for for example? I do mean the Dixie Chicks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who said like the most milk toast criticism possible of George Bush and got like yeah. slaughtered? God. They they are the only people who've been successfully canceled. Yeah, they were fucking canceled. <laughs> yeah. That like, was Jesus. Brutal. Like yeah. that was an immediate shutdown. Yeah. Like I remember that. And people like fucking turned. They yeah. went feral on the Dixie Chicks. <laughs> fucking nuts. Yeah. That was that was bad. Yeah. So like the Nixon era leads to this right-wing reactionary country genre, which leads to like an apolitical-ish country genre fixated yeah. on like the aesthetics of the South with like coding. Yeah. Which is is all like coded commentary on being the kind of weird Christo-fascist that Leonard Skinner is. And 
this is bad, but fine. Until a little thing called 9-11 happens. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, so you mentioned Leonard Skinner. My mom worked in a hotel just outside Nashville, like right next to this venue called, uh, I don't know what it is now, but it used to be the Starwood Amphitheater. And Skinner played there a few times and they always stayed at my mom's hotel. So she met them a few times. And oh. like the last time that she was there and they rolled through, they gave her like this big, big picture. And it was like two, I'm not going to mention my mom's name, but they signed, you know, they all signed it and they're like, thanks for everything that you've done for us. And it was really nice. That is nice. Yeah. So you've heard it here. Leonard Skinner did one nice thing minimum <laughs> in their lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> so this like a political country fetishism. Yeah. Is just <laughs> broken by 9-11. Yes. Like fucking broken. Yeah, well, and it creates some of the worst music that has ever been made. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for nice. some truly horrible stuff to listen to, Alan Jackson's "Where Were You?" Oh God, that oh comes to oh. mind. I'm gonna oh. just list like eight songs here, and I'm gonna give Aaron horrific flashbacks. Oh. <laughs> oh. Brooks and Dunn's Only in America. Brooks Charlie Dunn. Jesus, I forgot about Brooks and Dunn. <laughs> oh my God. Charlie Daniels, this ain't no rag. It's a flag, a yeah. horrible play on a Johnny Cash. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Randy Travis's America Will Always Stand. Randy fucking Travis. Oh my God! Hank William Jr.'s "America Will Survive." Yeah, that, oh. And Toby Keith's overtly fascist "Courtesy oh, of the Red, White, and Blue." Jesus Christ! Oh, Toby fucking Keith. Is he still around? Yes, he is. Shit. <laughs> oh, Brooks and Dunn. My <laughs> God, they were. I, 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 there was a long period where it was like that was in my mind the the absolute nadir of human civilization. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Until you had Florida Georgia line. Oh yeah, bro, country might have been worse, but was less <sighs> like fascist. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the, all of these songs are just. I'm in 2002. All of these songs are maybe the worst thing you can ever listen to. Literally choking on my own throat. Yep. You mentioned Randy Travis. Yep. Fucking America will always stand. Oh, colors don't run. Yep. Holy shit, it was bad. God, that was that was when I oh fuck. This has been a recurring theme in our podcast of like 9-11 broke us. Yeah, <laughs> as a country, yeah. Destroyed us. But yeah, it's like, I don't know. Like, so I, I think I mentioned it before. Like, my mom, for a long time, has been going out with this uh, this guy who's uh, Iraqi-Egyptian. And I don't know what... He... Uh, he I He's a good guy. And it, it feels like his... He just doesn't acknowledge the bad things about Nashville. Because, like... It got nasty after yeah, 9-11. Yeah. And he is obviously <laughs> Middle Eastern. And yeah, he just never mentioned anything. And I don't know if he ever caught shit from people, but like I definitely remember 
people in my fucking school being like, we're going to fucking teach those ragheads what's for. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, and that, like just hearing that from fucking like 13 and 14 year olds. Yeah. I listened to yeah. one of my favorite <laughs> YouTube channels is this uh, person who goes by skip intro okay. and he does a whole series called Copaganda, which is about like cop depictions in the military and about 35 minutes into every 45 minute long episode it's become a running joke that he's like and now we get to the part where 9-11 broke our national media culture yeah it's like it just did it just <sighs> like fucking ended it all right can we can we pause i need to go get a guinness now <laughs> yeah You've, all right i'm gonna you'll be right back <laughs> remember to record this or edit this out yes <laughs> Randy fucking Travis. Aaron is shaking at the memory of all of these horrible songs. <laughs> I've done some introspection over the last few minutes, and I think the only explanation for this this genre is cringe. Yeah, yeah, cringe country. <laughs> cringe country. Yeah, Fuck. all of these, all of these particular songs, especially if you watch the music video, have a feel like if Alex oh. Jones was the artistic director of the Backstreet God, Boys. They're, all, they're so horrible. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's done. This is probably the generation point for every F-350 you see tooling around a city with a giant American Eagle flag. Absolutely. <laughs> like that. Got my goddamn rifle. I'm going to go show them fucking towel heads what's for. Absolutely. It's like show G. Hottie Joe what's going on. Oh. It is huge. Like. Larry the cable guy energy from like all of these fucking people from here on out. That's like did you did you see the um what is it? I think it's even more news video about conservative uh comedy. Yeah. Yeah, and like talking about the blue collar comedy tour thing. Yeah. Like Jeff Foxworthy, one of the and the other guy, the the big dude who crippling alcoholic. Uh, but like those two guys were probably like the last southern, I like funny ish centric, people. yeah, yeah. And then you get the the horrible man with the puppets. Oh, fucking Jeff Dunham, Jesus That's Christ, his name. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, to, my God. to convey just how crazy our nation went musically <laughs> at this moment, iHeartMedia sent out a memo to the stations that they owned around the country with a list of songs they should avoid playing. Yeah, I remember this. For example, all of Rage Against the Machine, every fucking Rage Against the Machine song. <sighs> and the song Betty and the Jets, because it included the word Jets in it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're dark, now, we're now at the part time. of the podcast where we've broken the people who <laughs> didn't write the script. <laughs> 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 it only took <laughs> Brooks and Dunn being mentioned. Yep. Then, like you know, I, I feel like a, a good chunk of being like mentally resilient in your life involves building up a wall and and shuffling off all of these horrible memories into a shtetl, if you will. And that wall has just collapsed. Yeah, you, you've now <laughs> been flooded with. Just the worst music videos you've ever seen. Yeah, and then the iHeartRadio shit. Oh yeah. my god. Oh. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of Taylor Swift's music, but if if she is the reason that we start seeing Monopolies crumble, starting with Ticketmaster... <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. 
consider me a Swifty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <sighs> this whole time is best summed up by a quote from, and I'm gonna butcher this last name, Stacy Takax, T A K A C S. I have no idea. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, Takase, maybe. Maybe. An Amer- a professor of American and screen studies at Oklahoma State. Quote, for the first few years after 9-11, patriotism was a lucrative market and no one wanted to be accused of anti-Americanism. Yeah. Like, it Look was, what happened to the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was the number one seller to be like overtly American. Well, uh, <laughs> I... what. I don't remember. No, they didn't edit the movie, but like Spider-Man was coming out that weekend and they they had to scramble because some of the uh, like the posters had the Twin Towers on them. And so they just scrambled to replace that. And yeah, yeah, they really uh, oh, there's that fuck. truly great uh, <laughs> story about. Um, just before it came out, George, just before a 9-11 happened, George Carlin had recorded a comedy special called Sometimes I Think It's Funny When a Lot of People Die. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever fucking group was supposed to put it out was like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I th- we've talked about it before, I think, but Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, the God only the only actual her- hero comedian. Yep. 9-11 joke right after it happened. <laughs> yep. yep. And oh. Bill Maher, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Bill Maher took a fucking turn. Yeah, he really did. Broke for different <sighs> reasons entirely. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. So I'm now still not I, recovered from Brooks and Dunn. Darren. I'm still not recovered from Brooks and Dunn. <laughs> Just flashing back to going out at like to Second Avenue at night and the uh, just the proto Las Vegas bullshit yeah. of themed bars in downtown Nashville. Oh God! Yep. Coyote ugly. Far away stare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, go on. So <laughs> this created like this took the like political right-wingdom and mass marketability of the previous two eras and merged them into this kind of like horrific Frankenstein we have today with people like Florida Georgia Line who are at some somehow like both apolitical and incredibly fascist yeah. all at the same time. And I you can't point to a specific thing, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know much about them. Yeah. But like it, it just oozes. Yeah. Out of, like they just they secrete the vibe. Yeah. You listen to some of their music and you're like, oh my god, you haven't said anything bad, but like, I <laughs> it's know there. it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, do you remember when we were uh, on our our tabletop game server, chatting to the the uh, the ultra youth, the ultra youth about um, Pitbull. Yes, and then we. I think I found the videos of other songs by other people who were also horrible. Yeah, there was the one video that was a country guy, and he was like, "Deep down, we all just want to be country. We just want to be boys." <laughs> There's oh. a song about just just truck truck. Yep. 
truck. Oh. And you're like, I don't know how this is fascist, but I didn't <laughs> fucking is. It is. <laughs> There's like a weird, like Volkic thing in all the music about like the average American personified yeah. and like the Florida Georgia line listener that I just feel like Joseph Goebbels wanted to hear. They are summoning Votan. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's not good. No. <laughs> there is a truly brilliant parody of this genre by comedian Bo Burnham mm. that I feel everyone should listen to because it's perfectly summarizes everything wrong about it. It's a song called Pandering. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of the best lyrics from it are, quote, I walk and talk like a field hand, but the boots I'm wearing cost three grand. I write songs <laughs> about riding tractors from the comfort of a private jet. Ben Shapiro shopping at Home Depot and coming out with eight, like, what eight, eight two by four. That <laughs> <laughs> shit was so good. Yeah. And the receipt. <laughs> and it's in a plastic bag. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the picture recently of him looking just <laughs> stuffing a turkey and looking the most disgusted of any <laughs> human being I've ever seen? <laughs> yeah. It's so, like, buddy, just like, don't do it yeah, then. Just, you're a millionaire. Don't yeah, do it. Yeah, you don't have to. You can do your own thing. <laughs> or any of the numerous videos of them. Drinking whiskey and smoking cigars. And, just and looking, looking just repulsed. So unhappy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have to do it. Just stop. <laughs> like, stop. Your whole thing is individualism. Just don't do it. <laughs> Another lyric from Burnham. Like Mike Savanderin, fuck your ears, I'm pandering. I write songs for the people who do jobs in the towns I would never move to. <laughs> Yeah. It's just like this holy this like thing. I did I couldn't really know how to explain it or talk about it even because like you said it's kind of this nebulous fascism that can't be explained yeah. of like the corporate bourgeoisie co-opting working class culture and creating nationalism with it. Yeah. Which is like really hard to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's they they it, the sound completely changed too. Yeah. And there's nothing recognizable in Brooks and Dunn no. or Florida Georgia Line and Dolly Parton. Yeah. There's there's no overlap. No, it sounds way more like the Beatles than it does. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, Cash. it's just commercial rock. Yeah. But they're all wearing cowboy boots. So it's yeah. country. Yeah. <laughs> For some fucking reason. Yeah. God. Um, this is a, a time in country I haven't given a name to because it's just we're not out of it yet and no. we may never be um, this might be the end of civilization um, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. my god um, thankfully there in recent times has been some acts that counter this trend okay if you're looking for some good mainstream country jams, you can look for like Casey Musgraves or Corb Lund, oh, both yeah. of whom I like a lot. Yeah. If you're looking for something a little more off the beaten path, think Pink Williams or the Drive-By Truckers, both yeah. of whom are a lot of fun. There are sane people back in country music 
after like 2010 when we despite all the t-shirts forgot about 9-11 do you remember (laughs) oh my god that fucking song who was that i forget when I was writing the script, I just created a playlist of the worst 911 songs possible. Oh, a, a friend of mine did that recently too. <laughs> and he so uh, we we met up in Philly, it was three of us, and two of them drove up from Baltimore. And this guy com- made a playlist and just inflicted it on my friend who was driving. And it was just 911 songs. <laughs> oh my god, that's really horrible. <laughs> Something bolder than I ever thought to do in my teenage years <laughs> is to create the worst album ever put together. <laughs> if you are looking for a non-country song that just like absolutely tears this apart, um, Sage Francis's Makeshift Patriot is like an mm. incredible, incredible takedown of all this shit. Yeah. Um, I would add to the list of stuff that's kind of co-op or not co-opting, reappropriating the sound, uh, Panopticon's album Kentucky, which mm. is black metal, but also leans on bluegrass a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> Great fucking album. Good album. Um, <sighs> yeah. So now we're in this time of Florida Georgia line where we have like a political fascist country. Ooh, and, your but, audio just dropped from. Huh. Can you hear me now? Nope. Can't hear you. Can you hear Interesting. me? Interesting. I can hear you. Okay. I can't hear you. Weird. Hey, wait, there you go. Oh, cool. All right. Perfect. Well, have fun editing this episode. Hey, fuck <laughs> me. Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. So that's country music in a nutshell. Okay. Part one of three or four to this country music episode. How much? What? What? All right. So give us a preview. What? What else is to come? Um, on the next episode, we're going to be getting into the nitty gritty of America's changing politics and its impact on country music that turned it from this like revolutionary regional genre into bourgeois liberal music for everybody, and then pure jingoistic fascism post nine eleven. Okay. And the resurgence of the American left that created some good acts today. Okay. We'll talk about Richard Nixon, Kid Rock, Osama Bin Laden, George Bush, Kenny Chesney, and Karl Marx, who I would love to all watch have an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that this was on the table. I am going to be revisiting the metal episode. <laughs> Significantly. <laughs> My initial... My initial plan to have like a three-parter is back on the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, this was part right. one, and it's eight and a half pages. Okay. Oh. All right. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, oh, God. There were, I'm going to have to call my old boss after we, and be like, <laughs> do you, do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> well, I listened to all those songs so many times in the past few days, and it was I, just. So what stands out as the worst? Um, I think the worst is, like, far and away, not even close, Toby Keith's Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Yeah, that is an awful one. I will definitely go with you there. Uh, It is, like, just overtly fascist. (laughs) Like, terrifyingly so. 
it's it's right there with with people <laughs> after American Sniper coming up to you and being like, do you do you know about snipers? Yeah, it's exactly that kind of person. Yeah, it's I, like oh fuck, it's the people who like American Sniper also like this fucking song, and they wear a T-shirt that was graphically designed by an insane colorblind person. It's yeah. just like a bald eagle fucking Donald yep. Trump. And it's like, oh, this whole genre of person needs to stop. You're tacky and weird. It's, I mean, that's that's our recurring theme. We've talked about it before. They need to take away their license of Adobe Photoshop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you cannot be allowed this software. <laughs> but yeah, like earlier when I was talking about Pigeon Forge, that's a lot of the t-shirt shops. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just like the white t-shirt with the shitty American flag that's kind of pixelated. Yeah. Because <laughs> they just stretched the image to fit <laughs> on the t-shirt. Yeah. The thing that boggles my mind about Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue is that, like, there's no perceivable rhyme scheme in the song. <laughs> <laughs> like, some of it rhymes. Some of it doesn't. Some of it's couplets. Some of it's triplets. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, God. Yep. It's astounding. What yeah. is your entry for the worst song from this time period? What was the worst to live through? Because you were conscious. I feel like Brooks and Dunn has got to be the worst, just based <laughs> on my reaction earlier. Like, I don't remember. <laughs> you were any... full triggered. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember specifics, but yeah, I feel like it's got to be that. Because I think that kicked off like the Florida Georgia line strain of country music and like FGL, I'm going to start calling them, is just the the logical conclusion, probably not conclusion, but the 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 descendant of that crap, crappity crap, crap, crap. <laughs> um, there was just so much of that, man. I don't know. I don't know. The album name that this song appears on is called Steers and Stripes. Fuck off. You're so close to, <laughs> to Full Metal Jacket and you don't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> You're so close to Arlie Ermy just negging you into a human <laughs> being. And you're not cognizant enough to know it. <laughs> I, oh, this is really the like death of satire time in America. Steers and it stripes. really fucking is because then, then you, I feel I I don't know. It probably happened before it, but I know like this is when you start seeing a lot of like just Confederate flags oh, in yeah. places like I don't know Ohio. Yeah, because it's just like if you're not in a city, you're a country, and if you're a country, you're southern. Yeah. And it's like you're you losing all of these regional identities in favor of this grafted on political identity. That's bad. Like just it's, a bad identity. Yeah. I don't know, man. Oh God. Yeah. It's and I, I feel like part of the reason I can't answer that question well is like things have just gotten so fucking bad <laughs> that it's just shifted out all of the Toby Keith. Yeah. Out of my brain. Um, I don't like. There was a there's a band that I, I don't know. They started getting real weird. Uh, but Old Crow Medicine Show. Yeah, they're not bad. Yeah, like Remedy is a pretty good album. Um, 
I don't know, some of the interviews they started giving were like they got weird vibes. Yeah. So I I didn't pick up their last album or two, but Remedy was good and some of the stuff on um their self-titled album is really solid. Yeah. Um oh fuck. Yeah. There's just like mm. Yeah, but uh listen to the drive by truckers. Yeah. There's good stuff out there. You can find it. You got a lot of hardware. You can't go out of the mainstream. (laughs) If you ever see someone who wants to play Florida Georgia Line, throw something at them and throw them out the window and put on Pink Williams. Yeah. It was great. (laughs) Yeah, I think that is so. uh, I, I went into undergrad a few years after that. But, and, you know, I, I was a bit Jewish frat, so we didn't do this, but like being in the, the Southeast at this time, if you went to any sort of house party or frat party, you just heard this shit on repeat. And thankfully my, the, the people that I hang out, that I hung out with, especially in E. Pi were just stoners galore and so they were into like sound tribes sector nine and fish and shit so it was better than this <laughs> so like they you know they still play pop music and shit but they were not that sort of person and this is a this is a genre i have taken to referring to as hick hop yeah which i That's feel good. perfectly summarizes it it's like... I, I i i don't know i think that i don't listen to his stuff but like little nas x yeah is and like the um what was the song that came out that people lost their fucking minds about which one in what way there was the the one that was like kind of that was riffing off of country music oh old town road that's it yeah the number one selling country song of all time before everyone in country music was like oh fuck no that's a black guy We're not gonna let you be number one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> We're not letting a gay black man be the number one country artist of it's all like time. Every or, time he releases new new music, it just makes everyone lose their goddamn minds. Yep. So, so props to Lil Nas X. That's yeah. that's good shit. <laughs> Legitimately, every one of his songs slaps. Okay, yeah, I, I, not my thing, but yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. Aaron is not one of the youth. I am not one of the youth. Now, my the last album I picked up, let me see, on Bandcamp, is the new White Long album. They are a Canadian <laughs> punk band. Not one of the youth. Not one of the youth. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really good album. <laughs> oh, yeah, so All right. that was the history of country music. As I say, after every time I have sex, I'm sure this was inadequate, but it was the best I could do. Thank you and good night.